make sure you get your arms around her uh, before she goes. We're going to be in Romans chapter 15 this morning. Our group is a little bit thin. Uh, the thing about being in college and young adult ministry also is that when Mother's Day comes around, uh, you you go. Like, you've you got to be with Mama. And, uh, and, you know, it's hard sometimes. Who knows it's hard to be around family sometimes, right? Like your earthly family, the, the, the physical family that God gave you. That can sometimes be hard, and, and uh, there are moms and dads who don't know Christ. There are siblings who don't know Christ. And we need to be praying for one another this morning in, uh, in terms of uh, just our testimony with our families. And that God would use this weekend graduation going on, the appreciation dinner, for those of you who participated in that this weekend. It's just been a really busy weekend. And when things get busy, sometimes we let our guard down. We can say and do things that are, are unbecoming of Christ. Uh, we want to be a testimony to our families. We want, we want to be a blessing to our families. And we want to lead those who don't know Christ to Christ. Uh, we got to be prayed up to do that work. Okay, He's got to be rooted in his spirit and in his word. So we'll pray for that here um, in just a moment. We're going to be in Romans chapter 15. And the last time that we were together, I covered the entire chapter 14. chapter 14. And there, in chapter 14, we discover um, from Paul's writing just how crucial it is for us to protect unity and to prioritize one another. That's what we were taught. And um, it's certain that nothing is more threatening, more fatal to the mission than disunity. Uh, Sam even spoke about this last night at the appreciation dinner. Uh, all of our, our leadership were here uh, people that lead ministries and have invested in ministry uh, throughout the last year were, were here uh, celebrating one another and, and appreciating each other and saying, I love you. And Sam got up and spoke, and he spoke about this idea that, that one of the things that we need to continue to do is to protect the unity that we have. We have to be looking out for one another. We have to be speaking from the same script. And we have, that means sometimes reaching down okay, and helping our brothers and sisters up. And, and so in chapter 14, we looked at, there's a, there was a specific dilemma in Rome, in Rome at this time among the believers. And uh, we're going to look at that here in a second in, in terms of review, but it's certain that there's nothing more threatening and more fatal to our churches and to our church specifically than division. And we have to continue to fight for unity. And we're not talking about divisions in terms of, of doctrine. Sometimes doctrine does divide. And, uh, and, and we have to work that out, but we have to hold God's word true. We have to lift that up above everything else. That's that got to be our primary objective is to, is to teach his word. And when people want to contradict his word, sometimes there is division. There's nothing we can do about that. But what we're talking about is more situational. We're talking about minor issues. We're talking about peripheral issues. And Paul addresses three interrelated issues in chapter 14. They all kind of go together, but he addresses them all. And the first one is cultural inclinations. Cultural inclinations. And we're going to define that. I think this is in the slide, actually. And that maybe the next slide over. Is it? Okay. Uh, cultural inclinations. We'll define that in terms of differences in the way that we were raised. Okay? Uh, the way we experience life. Because a lot of it is formed by the way that we were raised. All of us are very different. And in this room, a lot of us come from different places in the world. Uh, and we have different habits that we've developed. 
And there are things that are just cultural that we're going to bring to the table here at Midtown Baptist Temple and in Kaya. And we have to be very aware of those things. But we can't allow those things to divide us. Another thing is personal convictions. Personal convictions. God gives us liberty in terms of uh, his Holy Spirit and how we perceive the way that we should live. Okay? These are differences in how you are compelled by God to conduct yourselves. And that's going to look different for different people, right? My convictions in terms of what God is calling me to be might be slightly different. Now, now we're not talking about obedience. All of us are, are called to obey the will of God. All of us are called to do that. But what we're talking about is when we have a specific conviction that we own. All right? And the danger is sometimes we impose our personal convictions on one another. And that's dangerous, and it can cause discord. Those types of differences can cause discord um, when we tout them legalistically. The third thing that Paul addressed, there I go, skipping out, in and out, is it the batteries? No. No. It's satanic. <laughs> I'll just speak loud. Uh, sometimes it's just immaturity that can be divisive. All right? These are differences that arise from lack of growth. And that's really the area we're going to focus a lot of our attention on today. Can I just get a mic, maybe, if this isn't going to work? Um, we're going to focus a lot of our attention on this issue of immaturity today, but Paul addresses it a little bit in the last chapter. Okay, So Paul uses the, the divisions among the Roman Christians as an example. Okay, uh, And if you remember, the issue was some people were convicted about how they ate. Right? These were Jewish believers, people who had come to know Jesus Christ, who came from a Jewish background, who were uh, choosing to eat certain diets, all right, and choosing to celebrate certain Jewish holidays a certain way, and there was a little bit of division that was arising up in the church in Rome. What should we be celebrating? How and when? And should we be imposing those things on one another? And that was, that was the issue at hand. And Paul used that issue to help us understand something. He uses that to help us how, uh, understand how to manage our differences, which will always be there, and yet still focus on prioritizing Jesus Christ and unity. Are you with me? You guys seem a little bit dead. Either you're very sober this morning, or you're not with me. Okay, So pray in your heart right now that you'll be able to focus with me. Okay, so, so Paul directs these believers here to manage their differences through forbearance, through understanding. And to protect one another, applying faith, teaching, and time to our relationships so that we might all grow in our unity. Now today we are going to continue to look at unity, but in terms of Christian responsibility to those who are young in their faith, to the immature, to those who are weak is the way that he puts it. Okay, so here are the questions that we need to answer today. What is the character and the lifestyle of a strong Christian, a strong Christian? We're going to be talking about strength today. What kind of outcomes should we be looking for in our discipleship relationship? When we're investing in younger brothers and sisters in Christ, what are the outcomes that we should be looking for? All right? Let's pray real quick, and then we'll get into it. All right? So Romans chapter 15, everybody's there? Everybody's got their pens? Okay. All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray uh, that you would be present here with us. God, we pray that you would meet us in our time, that we would be able to focus. Um, God, this is such a difficult time of year. And, and to be honest, uh, God, just a busy weekend. And there are brothers and sisters that aren't here. Um, 
they're at graduations, they're, they're celebrating Mother's Day. God, we ask that you would be with them, would you protect their testimony. Be with us as we go and invest in our families. I know that I, being with my family this afternoon, um, my extended family, that's a tough situation. And I need your leading in order to speak to my aunts and uncles and, Lord, to my sister rightly. Um, it'll take sacrifice. It'll take me dying to myself. Help me with that. And, and help all of us. God, uh, I, I ask that you would um, continue to help this ministry. There's a lot of people who are struggling. Um, that over the last two months, Lord, I've, I've just seen and observed a lot of wa uh, wavering and waffling back and forth between whether or not we're going to choose to lean hard into you and your word or not. Um, Lord, we've seen, uh, Lord, we've seen people walk away. We've seen people disappear. Um, Lord, there are people right now, we just don't, we don't know where they're at. People in our Bible studies who are hiding. And so, God, we just, we pray for your uh, supernatural help. would intervene in the lives of those that we love, uh, those that are either weak or wicked this morning. They're either presenting themselves uh, in weakness or, or they're presenting themselves in wickedness. Lord, would you meet them where they are? And would you draw them back into fellowship? That we might together be the church. That we might together be able to serve you. That we might have unity. That's what we need. Lord, if we have any responsibility in terms of reaching out, uh, going to get coffee, getting dinner, Praying for, praying with. Um, God, would you call us to that? Even right now, that we would make note that there's someone that we need to reach out to right now. God, we need you in this time. Lord, would you use me, set me aside, speak through me. Uh, we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay. Is it good? I would prefer to use that. Here, I'm going to give this to you. I don't, you know, I like to walk around. And this affords me that opportunity. Um, okay, so... Chapter 15, chapter 15. So in the, in the previous chapter, Paul defines Christian character, which is what we've been talking about in this portion of, of Romans, Christian character, uh, how to live out the gospel uh, practically. He defines Christian character by one's willingness to put unity over peripheral differences. Right? Romans chapter 14, verse 12 says, So then, every one of us shall give account of himself to God. Let us... Not therefore judge one another anymore, but judge this rather, that no man put a stumbling block or an occasion to fall in his brother's way. In other words, our lives should be lived in such a way that we promote and cultivate growth, all right? And tying into and knitting together rather than, rather than causing stumbling blocks or hurdles or difficulties for other believers, younger believers in Christ. Jump down to verse 19, says, Let us therefore... Follow after the things which make for peace, and things wherewith one may edify another. We're going to be talking about this edification thing quite a bit today. In other words, Paul says, Christians ought to do everything in their power to unite through forbearance. Right? That's what Christian character looks like. But in chapter 15, he goes a step further. He tells us that the strong must sacrifice for the weaker. That's what he tells us. He goes a step beyond that. He says, don't... You know, it goes beyond just saying, don't be a stumbling block, work towards edification. He says that the way to edification is the strong bearing the infirmities, bearing the difficulties, bearing the struggles, 
bearing for the weak. And that's a little bit different conversation. And it's a little bit more challenging. In other words, don't just stop at putting up with. Okay, what we're talking about is true sacrifice, the strong sacrificing for the weak. It says, verse 1, We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. So then the question is, how do we define strength? I mean, I think everybody wants to believe that they're strong, right? In a worldly sense, right? But we're talking about Christianity. We're talking about a little bit different thing. What does it mean to be strong spiritually, strong in your faith? So how do we define strength? But, but also, how do we determine if we personally are strong or not? How do we determine that? And then how do we become strong believers moving forward? And so we all recognize that we have weaknesses, right? We're not perfectly strong, not anyone in this room. Even the leaders in this ministry have things that they need to work on. How is it that we go about going from strength to strength? How is it that we build strength in? Yeah? Okay, so that's what we're going to address here initially. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about how do we become strong. Okay, so let's define strength this way. Strength, okay, strength in a person, strength in terms of character, strength in terms of Christianity, strength is someone of biblical knowledge. Strength is someone of biblical knowledge. All right? So Proverbs chapter 24, 5 says the following, A wise man, a wise man is strong. Yea, a man of knowledge increaseth strength. Now, when we're talking about knowledge, we're talking about a specific type of knowledge. We're talking about biblical knowledge. We're talking about the, the, the learning of God's word gives a person strength. I had a, I had a, a, a text conversation with a, with a younger brother this week. It was, uh, it was a good conversation, all right? And uh, we were talking about an issue, and I sent him a verse. And his response was, man, I would have never known that. And you know what? That's just true of all of us, isn't it? Unless someone take God's word and impart it to us, we just don't know. And knowledge has to come. Knowledge has to come from God's word. I mean, in our best efforts, in our worldly knowledge, um, we end up deriving all kinds of crazy conclusions. And it requires God's word to make us truly knowledgeable. I mean, if we don't begin there, we're not going anywhere. We have to begin with the pouring of God's word into our lives. That's what helps us become strong. What else is strength? How else do we get strength? Strength is also someone who understands biblical application. So the word understand is is important. Knowledge and understanding. Strength is someone who understands biblical application. They get how biblical truth works, how it applies in life. They can take the knowledge that they receive and and, and intellectually and in the abstract say, I know how this truth that God gave me applies to this situation. Does that make sense? And understanding is necessary for counsel. You can't give someone counsel unless you know how knowledge applies to everyday life. It's useless. Knowledge puffs up. If you end with knowledge, then then you're in danger of being proud and arrogant. But understanding is necessary in terms of knowing 
how God's word applies to our life. This is what the Bible says about understanding. Counsel is mine and sound wisdom. And this is what it says. It says, I am understanding. I have strength. It draws a correlation between strength and understanding how God's word applies to any given situation. Understanding is crucial to strength. Third, strength is, the embodiment of strength is someone of wisdom. Someone of, of wisdom. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 19 says, Wisdom strengtheneth. I don't know how, that's pretty straightforward. These verses were very easy to find, by the way. <laughs> this kind of stuff is everywhere in Scripture. If you do a study on knowledge and understanding and wisdom in God's Word, you're going to spend weeks on that topic. Okay, It's everywhere in God's Word, but this verse is so straightforward, you can't contest this. Wisdom strengtheneth. The wise man, more than ten, uh, ten mighty men which are in the city. I mean, it, what it's saying here is that the wisdom and the strength that comes with wisdom is greater than any physical strength, right? That the wisdom of one man can contest the physical strength of ten. It could do ten men to shame. That's pretty powerful. Wisdom, if we're going to define it, wisdom is godly counsel that is received, lived, and spoken. So it goes beyond just understanding it to receiving it Living it and speaking it. It is truth applied. It's not just knowing how to apply it. It's actually applying it. Living it out day by day. Wisdom is lived. It is spoken. So, point four. Wisdom can only be found in one place. And that's in God's word. That is the obedience to God's word. That is the only way we are going to become wise. It is the only way we're going to become strong is if we determine that we are going to obey what the scripture says. That's it. That is strength. That is strength. Is determining. I mean, look, there's so much to say here. Like, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Right? Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. That's just the beginning. But wisdom itself lived out is, is, is fearing God and loving Him and desiring Him and lifting Him up and, and, and pouring Him into other people's lives. That's wisdom lived out. Look at Colossians chapter 3.16. Let the Word of God, Word of Christ, dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. It's the word of God dwelling in us that creates a rich wisdom. Proverbs chapter 2, 6. For the Lord giveth wisdom. It's the Lord that gives wisdom. Out of his mouth, his words, cometh knowledge and understanding. He layeth up sound wisdom for the righteous. He is a buckler to them that walk uprightly. Here's our first key point. Key point number one. You will only be as strong as you are faithful to obeying God's word. Some of you guys are questioning this morning whether or not you're a strong person. Whether or not you're strong in your faith. I mean, if we're going to be really honest, um, I think that the ministry right now is full of a lot of people who, if they were really honest with themselves, are, are, are just struggling with weakness. And, and the solution to that is as follows. 
you will only be as strong as you are faithful to obey God's word. And I know for a fact that there are people that are here this morning that are struggling with obeying God's word. You know, in this church, uh, there's a pathway to growth. That's the beautiful thing about being at Midtown Baptist Temple that separates us from a lot of other churches is that we have a clear pathway for growth, a clear pathway to strength. And we have many ways in which we invest, invest strategically God's word into the lives of people. You know, I grew up in churches that had no strategy for this. Their strategy for this was um, Sunday school. I mean, there's nothing wrong with Sunday school. I mean, that's kind of what we're doing right now. You know what I mean? So I can't say anything bad about that, you know what I mean? <laughs> Rock site. Um, but that's not the solution for discipleship and investment. This is not... This is not how we go from strength to strength alone. This is one facet of a bigger puzzle. You know, Christ spent three years investing and pouring his life into a small group of individuals. And our strategy looks like that. That's what our strategy looks like. It looks like people mentoring other people in God's word. And that is how we grow. That is how we gain strength. And MBT, that looks like a lot of different things. For some of you, what that, where that needs to begin is you deciding that you're going to become a member here. It's you going to the new members class and, 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 and saying, this is where I'm going to be and this is where I'm going to learn, put my foot down. There's some of you who are in discipleship and you're doing discipleship and you're not a new member yet. You're not a, a member of this church. You haven't committed yourself to that. That would be a great thing for you to do is to say, look, I'm going to put my eggs in this basket. Maybe you've already done that. And now it's just a formality becoming a member of the church. But, but more than that, more than that, more importantly than that, is that we have D1, we have D2, we have LFBI, we have blueprints, and we have all these ways in which we pour God's word into other people's lives. This is strategic. Why? Because we want our congregation to take weak people and make them strong. We want to make people strong. You know, the thing that, I, 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 that really compelled me, this really compelled me, when I first came into this family of churches, was through a friend of mine, who when I spoke to him, I was like, is this bizarre to me that this high school age person knows more Bible than the pastor of the church that I go to? It weirded me out. I didn't know what to think about it. I didn't know that that was possible. And some of you have similar testimonies to that, Right? I just didn't know that was possible. And the reason that that's true is because we pour God's word into weak people to make them strong. There's nothing weaker than a hormonal and, and, and bizarre and proud and arrogant high school student. There's nothing weaker than that. Bumbling around in life like they have no direction. And this high school student knew God's word as much or more than the 50 or, he might have been 60 at the time, the old pastor, the pastor of the church that I went to, I couldn't believe it. Because we believe in pouring God's word into people so they might become strong. Strong beyond their years even. And this is how we all do it. And so, I, you know, I, I want us to, I, you know, I'm only mentioning this because I believe that we need to continue to prioritize these things. We just had, I think, eight people come through D1. There's, some, there's, I mean, at D1, uh, uh, COD, Conference of Discipleship. 
And, and there's some of you in this room who are waiting to be paired for discipleship. And man, this is a sacrifice that we're going to continue to have to make if we're going to lift up our weaker brethren and strengthen them and teach them. This has got to be true. Um, so let's go beyond this, though. What does it look like when strength is applied, though? What does it look like when strength is manifest? In the context, Paul defines strength by one's ability to bear the burdens of the weak. When a mature or strong believer sees that a young believer is struggling, then they determine that they will be the ones to stand in the gap. They'll be the ones that bridge that gap between that person and the Lord. That's what strength looks like when it's applied. Look at verse 1 again. When they that are strong ought to, uh, uh, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. Okay, well then, let's define what, who the weak are. Let's talk about who are the weak. Who is it that the strong should be pouring their lives into? In this case, weakness is defined by lack of spiritual strength and maturity. A person who has burdens that they need help bearing. They have things in their life that they need someone to give them counsel on. See, perhaps weakness looks like errors in their obedience in the past. Maybe that's what it looks like. Perhaps the weak are those that sometimes fall prey to their own poor judgment and their suffering and the consequences of bad decisions of their past. And they suffer those consequences uh, maybe of their own ignorance. Of their own ignorance. And that's what weakness really is. And, and it's only because, they only suffer these things because no one has yet invested in them. No one's mentored them. No one's taught them. These are the, this is ministry, folks. When we talk about ministry, this is what we're talking about. We're talking about this is the aim. These are the people that we give our lives serving. Now we've got to real quick briefly recap. What is the difference between weakness and wickedness? This is a serious issue. Because there's oftentimes those who are, that are suffering the consequences, not of weakness, but of perpetual decisions to sin. Continued decisions to, to disobey the truths that they do know. And sometimes those people suffer. That is not weakness. That is wickedness. So the last time we were together, we defined the difference between weakness and wickedness, and we did it this way. Okay, weakness is someone who is unfamiliar with obedience. It's new to them. Obeying God's word is new to them. They don't even know what God's word says. All they've got is their, their conscience. It's the only thing that condemns them. And they need help learning what God's word is so they can trust in his promises. And they can learn to obey it at, at, at the surface and literal level in which it presents itself. Yeah? Those are the weak. Now, wickedness is someone who neglects obedience. They know it, and they neglect it. They choose not to follow it. That's wickedness. That's wickedness. We got something to say for that person in a moment. Weakness is someone in need of time and teaching. Time and teaching. Patience. You're not strong if you're not patient. You're not strong if you are not patient. Some of you guys are very demanding with your disciples. And it exposes your personal weakness. You're, you're bossy or arrogant sometimes. You're condescending. We need to make sure that as we invest, we take time with our disciples, that we're patient, 
what faith looks like. It is our responsibility to bear the infirmities of the weak. The weakness is someone in need of time and teaching. Now listen, wickedness is someone in need of admonishment. Okay? Someone in need of admonishing. You know what that word means, right? It means warning. Look, brother or sister, you're headed down the wrong path and you know it. And I'm really warning you that if you keep doing that, the consequences are going to compound. Sometimes, and I've had to do this, sometimes when people choose wickedness repeatedly, they are asked to leave the church. They're asked to no longer fellowship with us. And this is very difficult. This is very heavy stuff. We have to, as believers, help the wicked repent. That's our responsibility as the strong towards the wicked. Our call is for them to repent. So Paul charges the strong with the responsibility here in this chapter to take on and bear the burdens of those who are weak. Now, what does that mean? Now, let me give you an example. Can I give you an example? Examples loosen us up a little bit, don't they? It's like it's been a little heavy so far. You're like, okay, my hand hurts. All right, so here's an example. Um, Being strong is a lot like being a parent. It is. Okay? I have an an 11-month-old daughter. You guys know her. She was just here. She might even be in that room over there. Eva tries to stay and listen and not be a distraction. You might even be in the room next door. But Eloise is 11 months old. Okay? Um, And about a quarter of my relationship with Eloise is me uh, wiping her rear end. (laughs) A quarter of my relationship with my daughter is cleaning her uh, off. Right? Now, is this enjoyable work? But it's weird. It's like she doesn't uh, have the dexterity or the or the coordination to wipe her own rear end yet. It's weird. <laughs> like I haven't figured it out yet. Uh, but apparently, eleven-month-old babies can't do that. And so I do it because she's weak. She's weak. That's why. That's why I do that. Now, now Shepard, on the other hand, Shepard, my six-year-old son, almost seven, um, he wipes his own rear end. <laughs> he does that. He, 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 uh, he goes to the bathroom. Sometimes I don't even know that he's doing it. It's great. Now, if for him to call me to come wipe his rear end, that would no longer be wicked, a weakness. It would be wickedness. <laughs> We would have passed into a place of weakness, into wickedness, if he asked me to do that because he knows how. He has the ability. He has the ability to do it. So this is our picture today. Weakness. We, we, we sacrifice for weakness. Okay? We give our lives to weakness. But for wickedness, and I'm not saying not to give your lives to those who are wicked. What I'm telling you is your call to the wicked is and some of us today in this room recognize that we're functioning in a place no longer of weakness. You can't use that as an excuse anymore. You know the truth. Your job right now is to repent of continually neglecting to obey God. Some of us are in that place. We know it. But for those who are growing, those who are learning, those who are trudging through things, things that you, the stronger, have once, once trudged through, Let us all be patient with those types of people. 
If you are strong, patience. If you are weak, patience. Be patient with yourself. Let's press in together and see what comes of obedience to God's word. Key point number two. Key point number two is strength is displayed by one's eagerness to aid younger brothers and sisters. Strength is displayed, it's manifest by one's eagerness to aid younger brothers and sisters. And that's how the Bible measures strength. And so that's how I measure strength. When I look at my leadership in this, in this room, in, in, in Kaya, what I'm looking for is someone who has the ability to be patient with, with weaker people as it concerns the thing, things of God. They can sit with them, they can be with them, they can help them through the struggles, they can trudge through things alongside them, they can bridge the gap between weak, weakness and strength. That's what I'm looking for in my leadership. What else does strength do? Strength also edifies. Did you get, your, did you get the key point now? Everybody write that? Don't want to move on if you didn't get it. Okay, we've got a little more to cover before we leave here. I don't want to go long because some of y'all got to eat with your mommies. You've got places to be. Verse 2, let every one of us please his neighbor for his good to edification. Now, neighbor here simply means those within our proximity. Okay? We like to think about the word neighbor in terms of where we live, our housing development. Okay? But a neighbor in Scripture is someone who's in our proximity, who's close to us, physically, maybe emotionally. These are our neighbors. The word edification means to build another person's faith up, promoting growth. Okay, So let's read it again. Let every one of us please his neighbor. Bring pleasure to his neighbor, those that are close to us, those that are in proximity to us. Our job is to serve them for his good to edification, that they might be built up, that they might be strengthened. Do you remember times in your faith when another brother or sister sacrificed for you? Can you think about that? Meditate on that for a second. Think about times where another brother or sister, another Christian sacrificed for you. When someone put their pleasure, okay, and their desires and their convenience second to your own, what does that mean for you? And how did their sacrifice build your faith? I remember um, when I was 16 and I, and I, I first started coming around, um, you know, I was just learning the Bible. I was just beginning to learn it. I was just starting to figure it out. I was pretty messed up. And you know, I, I, did, any, did anybody get a, uh, get a stepdad in their teenage years? You got a stepdad or a stepmom in your teenage years. Okay, how awful was that? Okay, like from the age of four to the age of 15, I was the man of the house. And then my mom remarried, and, um, and it was like, it was a real struggle for me. And we would fight. We would fight. I was weak, and I didn't know what to do. I was struggling emotionally. I remember one night getting in a fight with my stepdad. Um, I was 16, and I got in the car and left, and I went to Joe Medlin's house. Some of you guys know Joe. Now, Joe is not a real touchy-feely guy. If you know Joe, he's kind of stern. Uh, he's very matter-of-fact. Okay, but I went to him, and I was explaining him the situation, and, um, and when I was telling him about it, I was obviously frustrated. I was very upset. I was emotional, and I started to cry. I don't know if some of you guys know 
that, uh, that uh, I cry sometimes. <laughs> okay? So I'm crying, and um, I'll never forget this. Joe, uh, like, he didn't just hug me. He embraced me, and then Joe started weeping, which is like a miracle. <laughs> this is like the feeding of the 4,000. This is a miracle taking place. And Joe was weeping with me over my, my stupidity. I'll never forget that because that was an sa emotional sacrifice that he made. And it was his strength that became my strength. I remember when I was driving home from UMKC one time. And I shouldn't have been driving. They should have canceled class. Back in the day, UMKC never canceled classes. There was like two feet of snow. All right? And I'm driving home. And it's, I, this, I just got out of our history lecture, dark room. And I'm leaving. It's like 9.30, 10 o'clock at night. And I'm driving home. And I slide. You know that crazy curve over there by Stowers? That curve that goes like this? I just slid right into the curve. And I, I bent my tire, my, my, my rim. And Dan and Caroline got in their car, both of them for some reason. I don't know what Caroline had to add, except for just like emotional support. <laughs> and Caroline wears gloves. And if you ever seen Caroline, she sits like this all the time. I remember Caroline sitting in the front seat, warming herself like this. <laughs> but at 10 o'clock at night, and they came, and Dan, I mean, I didn't have gloves. I, I was freezing. And Dan helped me change that wheel. And that was a sacrifice that he made. I was 18 or 19. His strength became my strength. I remember when my brother died. Uh, I was 22. I was about to get married. I remember... Um, being at the funeral and seeing uh, my pastor, Sam, who I'd only been in the ministry for a few years. I remember seeing Sam so broken looking. I mean, just agonizing with me. And he did that with me for months. And his strength became my strength. You know, I can count throughout the years, over the last 15 years of ministry with that man, all of the, all of the weakness that I brought to the table, I don't, I don't even get it. Like, why am I even here, right? I have nothing to offer. I never did. But I remember Sam being patient with me and, and ministering to me while I was sitting at a table with guys who were twice my age, and he valued my input, and I put my foot in my mouth so many times in those situations. And I've harmed our ministry with my arrogance and pride. And Sam has been so patient with me. And his strength has always become my strength. And so here's my point. Number three. Edification is the outcome of the strong bearing the infirmities of the weak. That's what edification is. Being built up requires the strong giving their strength very, very literally to those who are younger and weaker 
That's what edification is. Edification is the outcome of the strong bearing the infirmities of the weak. Now, so what are those stories that you can tell? And who, who are the people who are investing that way in you even right now? Some of you are experiencing that type of investment. And praise God for that. That's what we all need. Here's the third and, and, and final point. Josh dang it, it's 1218. But let me, let me say this. Uh, for, for, uh, verse 3 says this. For even Christ pleased not himself, but, that, but as it is written, the reproaches of them that reproached reproach thee fell on me. See, here we find the word please for the third time in three verses. And this is the point. Christians should study to be pleasing. Christians should study to be pleasing to other people. Now listen, this is a very important point. Our liberties must not be exercised for our own pleasing but for the pleasing of God and others. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says, For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, which some of us struggle with. But by love, serve one another. That's what liberty gets you, is servanthood. You've been set free that you might serve. Sorry, you thought that you were set free so that you could... Uh, I don't know, fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. What is it you think liberty has got you or gained you? No, no, your liberty is given to you with the intention that you serve other people. The burden of our Christian life is the good pleasure and edification of the brethren. But if we are to edify our neighbor, then it will require self-denial. It will require self-denial, and there's an art form to that. There's an art form to that. We are very good at looking out for number one. That's what we're good at. We are really good at that. In fact, everything that we do in this world, in America, in Kansas City, in every situation that you find yourself in, financially, educationally, experientially, we have all learned, and we've all found our way to look out for number one. And we practice this every day. The way you look at your phone is the practice of you gratifying self. That's, that's it. I don't know what else to tell you. When you spend your all day long with your face in that phone, all you're doing is training yourself to gratify self. And we've lost complete touch with this idea of self-sacrifice. We spend the majority of our lives reinforcing notions that we must be pleased at all times. We live indulgent lives where any perceived need or want is just a few minutes away or a few clicks away. And you know it. And you live it. Now here's my warning. Self-indulgence is the beginning of Christian lethargy. Self-indulgence is the beginning of Christian lethargy. It is poison for strong believers. It's poison. It's poison. And it must be resisted at all costs. And our greatest testimony for this comes through Jesus Christ, doesn't it? Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself 
and take up his cross and follow me. It's a prerequisite for following Jesus Christ is dying to self. It's so funny. It's so funny that we can call ourselves Christians, and yet we can spend so much of our day focusing on self. It's the great hypocrisy of our time. Here's the key point. The strong have to be able and ready to receive the weak, but readiness requires building habits of self-denial. The strong have to be able and ready to receive the weak. But readiness requires building habits of self-denial. You have to make decisions all the, all the time. You have to begin practicing this all the time. You have to be working towards self-denial. This is what it looks like. I don't need that. That's what it looks like. I don't need that. I don't need that. That's the practice of self-denial. That's living a consecrated and devoted life. You're not in need of material goods. You're not in need of a particular relationship. You're not in need of anything you can imagine, anything that you can covet after, anything you can desire, anything that you want to spend your time doing. Any want. I don't need that. That's the practice of self-denial. It's choosing not to do things that would please yourself that you might do the things that please God. And Christ's example is unparalleled. Christ is clearly the most amazing example of this, and, and we'll end this way. His whole earthly existence was an ec exercise in self-displacency. His whole entire life was one thing. I put you over me. He was not a bragger. He had no concern for his own safety. He continually put himself in harm's way. How many times can we count that Jesus was this close to getting stoned? He refused the comforts of this world. He left his home. He had no home. He says it. I have no home. I have no place to lay my head. He was a wanderer. He was a pilgrim. He refused the comforts of this world. Christ lived upon meager finances. He received alms. He received donations. That's how he lived from day to day. He refused to be made king. They wanted to make him king over and over again. It was either get stoned or be a king. He had to make a decision. He didn't want either. He refused to be made king, and he shunned all earthly titles. They called him master. And he rejected that. He was their master. He rejected the title. He did not seek his own will. He washed his disciples' feet. He endured the rejection of his own friends. They rejected him in, his own, in the midst of his death. They, they rejected him. He endured them, willingly. He embraced the agony of his burdens and made himself of no reputation. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in the, in the fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I'm going to read through verse 6 of Romans chapter 15 and we'll close. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope 
Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. See, he says here that God is the God of patience and consolation. That's super important. Because if he's the God of, of patience and consolation, then he can impart that to us and we can practice it. Grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. That, listen to me, this is the end goal of edification. That ye may be, that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God. Even the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. So our key point to end with is our patience and consolation towards one another produces unity, strength, and glory to God. Our patience and consolation towards one another produces unity, strength, and glory to God. So, so this is how we're going to end. Are you strong? Now, of course, you, you struggle with weaknesses, but, but, but as a whole, are you a leader? Are you strong? And if you are, then you are responsible for bearing and forbearing and being patient towards that are, those that are weak. That is what we've given our lives to. I'm sorry, you, you've signed up to be a servant. For those of you who are weak, are you weak this morning? Are you a young believer? Is this new to you? Be patient with yourself. There are people here to help you. There are people here to pour into you, to make their strength yours. Receive that, accept it, submit to it, long for it, desire it. Who's above you in ministry? Go to them for counsel. Seek them. For those of you that are wicked this morning, it's time to repent. It's time to do away with your immaturity. It's, it's time to stop neglecting obedience. You're hindering this ministry. I don't know what else to tell you. You're harming and hindering the ministry. And it's time to choose to obey. I love you guys. We're going to close. We don't have time for a worship song, but I'm going to pray. And, uh, and then I'm going to let you guys go. But please don't go unless you need to deal with something. Right? I mean, I've got, I've got chicken dinner over at my uncle's house. That's where I'm at. <laughs> but he can wait. Right? That, that can wait. If you need something, let's deal with it. Let's deal with it. Okay? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for these young people. I thank you for their, their time and their attention. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to give them what you taught me. And Lord, I pray for all of us that we would grow strong. And that where we're weak, Lord, we would seek you in your word. Um, that your word would become knowledge, understanding, and wisdom for us. That, Lord, we would grow in our ability to counsel and to, uh, Lord, suffer the little children. Uh, Lord, to be there for those that need us.